You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're talking with Greg Baer and Ryan Rudzeski about their new book, When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, and Caring Kids. Greg Baer is the Executive Director of the Grable Foundation. He is also a father and children's advocate whose work is inspired by the legacy of his hero, Fred Rogers. Ryan Rudzeski is an award-winning author, reporter, and speechwriter whose science and education stories span everything from schools to space travel to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Let's listen in as they talk about community, collaboration, and the enduring lessons of Mr. Rogers. Greg Bear, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. It's great to be here, Tom. Thank you. Uh, we're also uh, really glad to welcome your co-author, Ryan Rudzeski. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Congrats on your new book, When You Wonder, You're Learning. We love the book and look forward to diving into it. Uh, but Greg, I'd, I was reminded of your um, interesting background. You studied ethics and government at Notre Dame. You studied um, ethics and law at Duke. Is, is ethics and character formation sort of the thread that runs through your work? It certainly runs through my education, and I suspect it's part of the water here in Pittsburgh. Right? Pittsburgh has been an extraordinary place to be from and to call myself a Pittsburgh kid. And I think there's a real sense of work ethic and ethical responsibility and, and what it means to be a good person um, in the DNA of Pittsburgh. And it's no surprise because Pittsburgh is a place that has produced the likes of Rachel Carson, Roberto Clemente, and Fred Rogers. We'll talk more about Fred in a minute. After taking over the Grable Foundation uh, about 15 years ago, shortly thereafter, you launched Remake Learning, which is initially sort of lit up southwestern Pennsylvania and is now going nationwide. Um, how and when did you discover the power of active learning uh, that, that is behind Remake? Yeah, well, Remake Learning began simply enough, and initially we called it Kids in Creativity. And as you noted, it started shortly after my tenure began here at the Grable Foundation. I inherited leadership for an organization that was remarkably well-run, Tom. And part of my responsibility was to say, how could we do what we do and do it better? And so early in my tenure here at the Grable Foundation, I found myself meeting with teachers, with artists, with youth workers, librarians, merely asking, how can we be helpful? And Tom, in the course of those conversations, one of the things that I began to hear again and again is, I'm just not connecting with kids the way that I used to. Now, on one hand, that seemed entirely normal to me at the time. But then as I began to notice who was saying it, how they were saying it, I realized that different people of different ages with different years of experience were speaking to something similar. Uh, you know, I started asking questions like, this is more than like, oh, kids these days, right? It, it was something more. And it seems naive here in 2021 to say this, but in 2007, I wasn't familiar with the learning sciences and the whole field of what we were learning about learning itself from places like right here in my backyard at Carnegie Mellon University. And as I began to appreciate the learning sciences and appreciating how in fact kids were developing differently, consuming, producing information differently, seeking affirmation differently, I began to appreciate that these teachers and librarians and others literally meant my class in 2005 versus 2006, that they were right, that there was a seismic shift underway because of the societal and technological changes. And then as I began to speak also with designers and artists and technologists and others, 
began to appreciate that they too were asking similar sorts of questions, but from a different lens, from a different field and perspective. And, um, and so slowly we started bringing these folks together and that bumping up of artists and teachers and designers and technologists, we began to appreciate that we could start to think about learning differently and what were the bets that we could make in our schools in our museums and libraries. And it's over those conversations that began as we like to say over coffee and pancakes. They literally began in those social settings of breakfast meetings that we began to appreciate that we could pursue a, a future of much more active learning of engaging young people in their passions and interests. So fast forward 15 years, Remake Learning Today is a network um, of more than 600 schools, museums, libraries, early learning centers, higher education, creative industries. It represents an investment of more than $100 million on the part, not only of the Grable Foundation, but other foundations locally and nationally, as well as corporations in our region. Supporting things ranging from capital projects to professional learning to regional working groups around STEM or STEAM or maker-centered learning. Um, it's become a vibrant community of thousands of educators in and out of school, early childhood, through higher education, who are genuinely rethinking what it means to advance engaging, equitable, um, relevant learning. It really is the best example in the country of uh, equitable, active learning, both at school and in the community. We, we just love how you lit up Pittsburgh and then southwestern Pennsylvania and um, and soon the whole United States. So it's a great initiative. Uh, Ryan, why did you uh, go teach uh, in East Baton Rouge after a writing degree at Pitt? Uh, well, when I came to the end of my time at Pitt, it was either go to law school or go become a teacher. And uh, I found out the day before I was set to take my LSATs that I had been accepted into Teach for America. And so I, I skipped the LSATs because I really wanted to be a teacher more than, uh, more than a lawyer. And uh, I went down to Baton Rouge with Teach for America and spent four years there before Western Pennsylvania uh, called me home as it does uh, so many people from the area. Um, Ryan, did, do you have any classes in the Cathedral of Learning? Uh, almost all of them were in the cathedral. Have you been? I started my uh, MBA there when I was working in the coal fields of uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. So I had a lot of summer evenings in the cathedral. It's a beautiful building. It's a great place to read and write. And uh, I'm happy to be back in Pittsburgh where I can visit whenever I want. Well, Greg is really happy that you uh, that you honed your writing uh, at Pitt and uh, and thereafter, because you guys have really created a beautiful partnership. Greg, when when and how does Mr. Rogers uh, enter the picture for you? Did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Yeah, Mr. Rogers is part of my childhood. I I, I watched that show daily with my mom and my brother often, and um, still to this day. I can remember the moment when Fred Rogers passed away. I was lying in bed, NPR had just come on my clock alarm radio, and I heard them playing not their theme song, but the theme song for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I knew immediately what they were about to tell me. And I mentioned that because it's the only time in my life that someone outside my family has passed away and I literally just started to cry. Um, his presence in my childhood was that powerful. And, and I think that's true for so many people of my generation and, and those that came after me because he treated those shows um, almost like personal visits 
between me and you, right? He talked about that as being holy space. And he really methodically thought about his presence and, and the connection that he was making with each individual viewer. And as a kid, I felt that powerfully. Yeah, your, your book um, helped me appreciate that he really viewed his work as a ministry. It was really um, more than just teaching skills. It was uh, a beautiful giving of himself. Ryan, did you have any relationship with Mr. Rogers growing up, or did you really learn to uh, learn to love him through Greg? Uh, no, I, I grew up, I watched him probably every day uh, when I was four and five years old. In fact, I, I was probably among the last generation to be watching new episodes as, uh, as they aired. And like Greg, I sort of carried w his presence with me. I, I remembered him as this guy who made me feel really good when I watched his uh, TV show. But it wasn't until we started working on the book that we um, dug into his methods. And Greg mentioned the learning sciences earlier and really began to appreciate just how far ahead of his time he was uh, when it came to pedagogy, when it came to communication with kids, uh, and when it came to helping kids feel safe and warm and, and ready to learn. My appreciation for him has only grown. And Tom, if I may, because I think we take this forward, this story forward from us in our personal lives, right? It's, it's important to note Fred Rogers is present across the Pittsburgh community. And right there at the confluence of our three rivers sits this memorial with this incredible statue mm -hmm. of Fred Rogers himself, almost looking out over the city and as a constant reminder to us to put kids first. And so when we talk about we make learning or we talk about what previously was kids and creativity that, that led to uh, Remake Learning nearly 15 years ago, we talk about Fred Rogers and his method. Um, and that, and we've been talking about Fred Rogers for 12 to 15 years in the context of our work uh, because he represents not only a commitment to childhood and early child development, but also as Ryan just noted, to the learning sciences and applying what we're learning about learning to experiences for young people. No, thank Thank you. Um, I, I didn't recall that there was a statue and, and that he had such a presence in Pittsburgh. So that is a beautiful background for your new book, When You Wonder You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. Um, a great new book. You, uh, Ryan, you alluded to this um, in, in the book. Um, you suggest that uh, the neighborhood was highly engineered, that uh, surprised me, to enrich lives and future growth. And further, you said uh, that Rogers based every story, every song, every script on what had proven benefit for children. So I guess that was my first big uh, takeaway from the book, that this was a really highly intentional series. Is that fair capture? Absolutely. You can pick any component at random, and sometimes they look random. If you remember the opening sequence of the show, there is a, a stoplight right in the middle of his living room. It's always flashing yellow when the camera pans through. Mm -hmm. And that yellow, I mean, to the untrained eye, just might look like a, a strange sort of uh, set piece, when in all actuality, what he was doing is helping kids start to slow down. They come in from the front door, the camera pans to, from left to right, which is how kids learn to read. Rogers takes off his shoes and puts on a, a sweater to make himself more comfortable. And even the music itself starts with this flurry of piano notes and it slowly slows down 
as Rogers mm. himself sits down and the, the uh, yellow light is blinking. All of it is meant to bring kids into this place where they can set the realities of what's outside aside and feel ready to feel safe and ready to learn. Greg, uh, over the last year, I've been thinking a lot about curiosity and creativity. My friends at Turnaround for Children really helped me connect curiosity with the bottom of their building blocks of learning, which include um, safety and belonging. Uh, and in the book, you point out that it's really warmth and safety uh, that Fred creates, that Ryan alluded to, um, that help create space for uh, curiosity. Do you, do you see other ways that, that Fred embodied warmth and safety that really unlocked learning for children? Well, Ryan presented it really well. He welcomed people, he welcomed each viewer into that setting uh, of his living room and it created familiarity from the very beginning, right? And it wasn't just about getting kids to slow down and to begin to notice, but it was also about, this is a safe space and I belong here and he's speaking to me as if I belong here. Uh, and, and kids can't start to pursue their passions, their interests, unless they feel that sense of safety that I can express myself, I can share my ideas. Um, they can't start to do the work that they want to pursue uh, if they don't feel like that they belong. And, and so for Fred, his work is a re remarkable reminder of that whole child development theory that our colleagues at, at Turnaround and others um, you know, express. And it's no accident, right? Fred Rogers studied at the University of Pittsburgh at a time when Margaret McFarlane, Eric Erickson, Benjamin Spock, others who are pillars of child whole child development theory and practice, right? They just didn't call it whole child then, but it was, it was fundamental to his work um, in understanding those social and emotional characteristics that, that, that if we do well, provide the groundwork for kids to soar. Greg, is there another way that you found him really intentional? Anything that you uncovered in writing the book that was a point of intentionality in the design of the show or the scripts or the songs that really struck you? Well, everything about his show is intentional, right? I mean, he studied those scripts. He went over those scripts closely with, with Mark McFarlane and his colleagues. And, um, and his choice of words about the way in which he was present in the living room, but he was never present in the land of make-believes. I mean, everything about his show was yeah. intentional in its design and presentation. Um, and it's evident when you look at that work. Ryan, I'd love to tell you incorporated so many song lyrics uh, in the book. I could tell that they were really important to both of you. Yeah, Fred Rogers wrote, uh, you know, he wrote over 200 original songs, I think more than a dozen operas. I do think, I think he's underappreciated as a musician. Um, there was a lot, you know, the music on the show was played live by a phenomenal jazz trio. Uh, mm -hmm. Rogers himself was a trained musician. Um, his staff sort of made fun of him sometimes for his singing ability. They didn't think he was that great. But, you know, on the day we're recording this just last night, uh, Fred Rogers won a posthumous Grammy for a best historical mm -hmm. record. So I think he's been vindicated a little bit. Um, 
But those song lyrics have the same sort of intentionality in them that Craig mentioned. Um, they're all informed by his mentors, by his studies in child psychology. And they really, there's a quote in the book where he says, all of these songs are really songs about how we feel about ourselves. Because if we can come to feel good about ourselves, we can come to accept ourselves exactly as we are. Not only will we be ready to learn, but we'll be able to accept others exactly as they are too, which is of course the key to the, the legendary kindness of Mr. Rogers. Greg, I, I love how um, Fred frequently asked, what might you do? Uh, I love that phrase. Do you remember that? And what, what, what do you think he was trying to evoke with what might you do? Well, it's probably exactly what our colleagues at IDEO and others um, ask when they say, how might we? He's provoking right. wonder and possibility and curiosity. So he's created a situation in which you feel safe to express potentially wild ideas, right? But that you can safely express those knowing that the caring adult in your life or your peers um, are going to listen and to help you think th through those things. It's, it's partly why we talk so much about Fred around here and why his work remains so relevant, um, precisely because not only was he that loving grandfatherly figure who made us feel loved and capable of loving, but he was also a remarkable learning scientist. Again, we didn't use that phrase decades ago, but he was a learning scientist who was using the work of Benjamin Spock and Margaret McFarland and his own work and applying it in very real ways through his scripts and, um, and tapping into the things that are, were attractive and of interest to young people. And so when you go to the crayon factory or um, you're in a squirmish in the land of make-believe, you can ask questions about how might we and start to think through scenarios. Ryan, on, um, on community listening seems to be Fred's big lesson. I, I loved how he said, listening is where love begins. Do you remember anything about listening uh, that you learned in writing the book? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting talking about listening when you're talking about a TV host because in one way, the medium present, prevents him from listening. Um, but when he talked about listening, a lot of times it really sounded like he was talking not only to the kids who his show was geared toward, um, but also their parents, whoever the adults were who were in the room hey. watching along with their kids. And I think the most important thing that Fred emphasized when he talked about listening was listening without judging. And that can sometimes be really hard to do because kids like all human beings can be irrational when they come to you and their feelings don't quite make sense. The first thing that we wanna do a lot of times as parents or as educators is correct them. Tell them, no, that's not how you should feel. This is how you should feel. Fred was special in that he never jumped to that. Uh, the neighborhood really made sure to emphasize that for, to kids, every feeling is valid. And the first thing that adults need to do is listen to what those feelings are so that they, they, they can understand them um, rather than correct them. And I think that's why Fred seems so approachable even today. And I think that's why we can still learn so much from him about listening, even though he couldn't necessarily hear his viewers himself. Greg, I appreciate that your, your book acknowledges that um, the last two years, I think, make many of us feel that we've lost faith in each other, that we've, we've lost some of our um, 
civic fabric and that restoring that trust may just begin with kids working together. And about that, Mr. Rogers said that appreciation is a holy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- wh- what do you think Fred Rogers has to tell us today about uh, working together uh, and collaboration? Well, we have an entire chapter about working together. And I think it's important in this work, not only to look to Fred, but to look to the people and organizations that are demonstrating what we might call that Fred method of connecting whole child theory and practice with the learning sciences. We see that so well in that particular chapter um, in an organization called uh, Girls of Steel. So here's a robotics program based at Carnegie Mellon University that brings together girls from high schools all across the region. And yes, they're attracted there by STEM and robots and things. And the adults who are leading Girls of Steel take the time to be methodical the way that Fred was to create that sense of safety and appreciation and to help the girls learn how to work together, right? So as an example, they they develop all sorts of scenarios um, and, and have girls work through scenarios so they begin to practice what it means to navigate through conflict. And that sort of methodical approach to program design, rather than just jumping right into the STEM or jumping into the robotics competition, they really invest the time as a program in growing young people And it's that appreciation that is such a holy thing for who kids are, where they come in, and how we can support them before we launch them into um, serious learning. Ryan, you're a writer. Um, Was this a harder and easy book to write? Uh, It was both. That's a very good question. Um, I think it was difficult and that we, we tend to view Fred Rogers as the nice guy in the sweater. It, it's hard sometimes to, to look beyond that. Um, but what, again, once you start to dig in and you start to see, oh, um, there's a study about the color blue and how it might impact creativity. And then you see on the show that Fred Rogers is wearing all blue against a blue background and a blue sky as he's talking about creativity. Then the hard part becomes, they're doing so much. How do I possibly narrow it down uh, in one book? Um, so while it was difficult and it was very research intensive, um, I would say it was for a writer it was the privilege of a lifetime to uh, to spend so much time immersed in the neighborhood and to try to tell his story in a way that um, not only does it justice, but that also makes his many colleagues and his many fans uh, Proud. And, and I, I hope, I think that we've done that. And on top of that, um, I would say it's also a book about bringing kids forward, right? Particularly right now. It's true of all times as for parents and educators. How do we bring kids through these times? But these times happen to be to pandemic times. And, and this is where the lessons of Fred Rogers have been so instructive to us as parents and as teachers, and we're hopeful are really instructive to parents and teachers all across this country. Well, I'd love to have you dive into that a little bit further, Greg. And I'm curious what your your sort of hopes and aspirations are for the book. Who, who did you most uh, try to address in writing the book? So this is mostly a book designed for parents, families, and caregivers. And also educators. And when we say educators, we mean, yes, teachers, but also early childhood educators and after school um, youth workers and librarians. 
and the caring adults that are present in kids' lives, either in their home setting or in all of the settings um, where they learn. And so much of this, um, you know, it was Joanne Rogers her, herself um, uh, just recently passed away, the longtime spouse of Fred Rogers, who said um, in a really wonderful way, this book contains, in essence, the blueprints that my husband left to us. Um, and it's those blueprints that connect whole child development theory and practice with the learning sciences. And so we're hopeful in this book that we really elucidate that, but make it modern and relevant and fresh. And it's why in the course of the book, we identify so many modern examples of people and organizations applying what we call that Fred method in really tangible ways, because um, Fred wasn't a saint. Fred was someone who worked hard and smart and methodically and there's so much that we can learn from him as we, um, you know, as we all work, whether it's in our own households or in school settings or across a community to bring our kids forward um, into the futures of learning that they deserve. Hey, listeners, time for a quick break, but we'll get back to the podcast soon. However, in the meantime, I wanted to share with you a powerful new tool that we think every teacher should be using with their learners. With the persistent disruptions to learning, systemic racial oppression, and the collective trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic, the well-being of so many young people has been severely impacted. Turnaround for Children has developed the Wellbeing Index, a new free tool that's helping educators hear directly, quickly, and frequently from their students. This brief self-assessment captures a holistic view of each learner's sense of their own physical, emotional, and social health so teachers can better understand, attune to, and give voice to their students. You can learn more about this new tool and start using it in your classroom today by going to turnaroundusa.org slash wellbeingindex. We've also got it linked in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the show. We're talking to Greg Bear and Ryan Rudzeski about their new book, When You Are Your Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. Uh, you, you both in your careers have uh, exhibited that you're, um, that you're real learners. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you learned about yourself uh, as a learner in this project and what, what you're doing these days to keep learning. We'll, we'll start with you, Ryan. Uh, what, what do you think you learned about yourself in this project and what, what are you doing um, to learn forward these days? It is, um, it's amazing. I, I think the process of writing this book with Greg, I think it made me a better person. I think it made me a better listener. Uh, I think it made me more aware of um, the impact. Fred Rogers said, you know, there's something that you leave of yourself in every meeting that you have. And I think I'm much more aware of that um, having written this book. Um, there's so much, like Greg mentioned, he's not a saint. There's a method to this. And well, Fred set a really high bar for how we interact with each other and for you know, how we interact with the, the world around us. It's also a relief to know that you know, Fred wasn't gifted some sort of saintly ability to connect with kids or to just be nice all the time. He did it because he worked really, really hard at it and because he studied. And I think um, you know, by virtue of writing the book, we had to study this, we had to work really hard at it ourselves and we've seen the results. Um, so in that regard, it has changed me a better person. It has shown me uh, sort of a path to being more like Fred uh, and it has, um, it's demystified that path uh, in a really helpful way. Brian, let me just ask you about your writing. Um, 
what are you doing to make yourself um, a better writer? Anything about the discipline of writing that you can share with young writers, aspiring authors? So my answer to that question changes every six months when I discover a new thing. But the, what has been working most well for me, I have to say, is from 7 a.m. to noon every single day, to the extent that I can, is to put my computer aside, to put the phone away, and to just write on a pad with a pencil and paper. And that sort of focused couple hours uh, of flow really, really makes a huge difference. And when you come to the end of the day, you will always have written something, which um, makes your night that much better to know that you've gotten something done. Wow, that suggestion makes me really nervous of putting my computer <laughs> away, but I, I, I totally appreciate the, I appreciate the practice and discipline that, that comes with that. Greg, uh, same two-part question. Anything that you, you think you learned about uh, yourself or that you grew as a, as a human being in writing the book? And second part, what are you doing to keep learning about this practice of philanthropy that, um, that guides your professional life? More than anything, this project, is, it's challenged me, right? And I think anyone who is a teacher or works in the education field, there's a bit of a job hazard when you then come home and you've got kids in your own household and you start to question yourself, am I doing this the way that I'm writing about, the ways that I'm talking about? And <laughs> I think more than anything, it's prompted me to slow down and notice how I'm present to my two girls, what I'm saying to my two girls, the things that I'm doing to support them, it's hard not to think about it in deeply personal ways. And I'd like to think, Tom, that um, I have a voracious appetite in terms of reading and being curious and you know, what is it that's world-class in the world, but, but I will say there's something about this title, when you wonder you're learning. I have just found myself wondering and trying to wonder in bigger ways. You know, what is it that's happening in Barcelona? What is it that's happening in Helsinki? What are they doing down in Arizona that I need to be paying attention to? And it's, it's just, it's prompting me in a really fast paced world that seems to go ever faster to try and find those spaces that I can carve out and be quiet and listen and notice a little bit more. I mean, it's a lot like Ryan just described in terms of the process of writing. I think the process of leadership and leading an organization is the same. And we owe it to ourselves and the missions that we're stewarding to pause and to really pay attention and notice who's doing what, who's not doing what, what work needs to be done, how is it be done, being done. That's the Fred method. When you wonder you're learning, it's a, it's a beautiful book. It's for parents, it's for caregivers, it's for teachers. Uh, we think everybody will enjoy this book, Greg Bear and Ryan Rozeski. Thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. What an honor, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Greg and Ryan for joining us today. Their book is an excellent testament to the magic and kindness of Mr. Rogers. For more information on raising creative kids, check out episode 208 with Esther Wojcicki. You can find a link in the show notes and on the blog. That's it for today, listeners. If you find these conversations valuable, be sure to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. They really do help the conversations grow and catalyze more and more conversations about creating a more caring and equitable education system. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.